Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Welcome, 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 everyone, to another episode of the Tej Talks podcast. Can you believe we're six months into the year? Wow, I remember January like it was just yesterday, and we thought we'd all be out of lockdown. Oh, didn't we think that in June as well? Yeah. Anyways, interior design, something you know I am a fan of. I like putting my sauce and my swag on everything, even in my little bitelets. So on today's show, I have an actual interior designer who's recently launched her interior design business. I actually mentored um, Raquel in branding like a year ago when I used to teach, um, you know, branding for social media and marketing for for uh, property so yeah it's kind of come full circle now that actually she's helping me design uh, my latest flip and we are talking about the cost of bad design but we're also comparing average design to very good design and how much more money you can make with it because i know property investors thinking oh god design let's just paint it magnolia let's paint it white get a standard gloss white kitchen black worktops no we're showing you the difference it can make mathematically when you put good design first and actually it doesn't cost that much so if you're stuck for design inspiration or you don't even know where to start and you've just got the keys or you're looking at property stay tuned Oh, also, my book is out. My second book is out. It's on Amazon. Go and buy it. Raquel, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hola, Tej. Thank you so much for having me today. You know what? Today is going to be a topic that I think a lot of people skim over, but a lot of people love to look at on Instagram They love to comment on and it all makes us feel good when we walk into a space, whether it's our home, someone else's home, a museum, a restaurant. We notice interior design just naturally, right? Like Our minds and our bodies feel at ease and feel right when things are right around us. So, you know, this is not only a topic which makes sense, it also makes money. Um, And we're going to talk about the cost of bad design, but actually then the return on good design. So, um, before we get into interior design, why don't you tell everyone out there a little bit about yourself and your experience? Yeah, sure. So, I'm Raquel. I'm an architect by background. And then I kind of moved into the interior design world, according to my colleagues, the dark interior design world. Um, I'm the founder of uh, Mar Design, and I have 15 years of experience, and it's a bit spread around hospitality, gaming, and high-end residential. I design quality spaces that kind of work and feel better, and by having a very commercially driven mindset, I know how to maximize any property's ROI and elevate its performance using affordable and creative design as a platform. In terms of experience, I've worked in Asia for many years. I've done projects in the UAE, in Russia, in Portugal, and also in the UK. And, you know, when I was working uh, in hospitality and gaming, it's a completely different world because everything is revenue driven. So 
you have to make money. And what we always kind of our thing that we were always saying is um, to our clients is if you invest money, you will make money. So for example, um, on my last project that I've worked, which was in Manila before relocating to the UK, um, we were doing this amazing casino, hotel, nightclubs, shopping malls, all of that. And one of the features that then it didn't go through was when you enter into the foyer of the gaming area, you had these holograms, like just literally flying in the middle of the foyer, which was a bit crazy, but they did think that that would bring them money. Then came the Feng Shui master and told them, I'm sorry, you can't have that because it's not that good Feng Shui. So we had to change, but you know, it's like crazy stuff that actually will make your clients want to go back and they are okay with spending money because they feel that they're spending money on quality stuff. So it's like win-win situation for everyone. And, you know, when then I moved to the UK, I started working in various projects and the biggest kind of hotel that I was involved was the Four Seasons at... um, at behind the Tower Hill, which is the 10 Trinity Square. And it's a grade one listed building, which was a completely different type of project because every time you try to make a hole to dig something, there was like a Roman, whatever, whatever. So everyone stopped. We needed to get planning approval. Uh, so, so that was interesting, but it was a 300 key, um, hotel, a very high end with 40 units of service apartments. So, so that was a, another kind of different theme to design, but also really, really nice. And sometimes people say, oh, well, yeah, Raquel, but you've been involved with large projects. So how can you actually be doing HMOs or small SA units or boutique hotels or anything that is really, really tiny. And I always say it's the same principle because we design for properties that perform a good or very strong ROI. And at the end of the day, it will bring to the investor, to the developer, an uplift in their rentals, in their property values, much more than if they would have a property that it's not designed at all. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And and a real wide range of experience there. And I think you know, people don't realize how much, I suppose, in commercial environments, the design is, you know, it is designed, like it's purposely created, even from the layout of how Tesco's is or the colors that your restaurant uses it. Good design is designed to do something to make you feel something to make you, you know, behave in a certain way. And I think, you know, in property, it's very easy to miss that, you know, especially in the world of kind of like buy to lets and flips when there's no furniture, it is, you know, four walls, a floor, it can be easy to say, ah, oh, yes, you know, all white kitchen, uh, oak effect worktop, and then we're done. And yeah, happy days when, you know, for the same price as we both know, you can do so much more. And I know, you know, you've been helping me with my latest flip, which everyone listening, you can see um, some of the designs in progress on my Instagram. And, you know, kind of going through that with you, it just shows how much you can do differently. And, and to be honest, it's really not costing me that much more um not enough that i'm sort of fussy about it so you know when i mean it's a huge topic right so let's maybe start at the beginning when someone is planning their property you know so they're kind of like you know maybe they've got the keys they're sort of starting the refurb and they're like right 
I need to know how it's going to look at the end so I can tell the builders to do this. What kind of key things should people be thinking about design when they're in that kind of early planning stage or even when in a HMO they're sort of designing the space itself physically? Well, I guess that there are two things here. One is that once an an investor is actually thinking about their numbers and doing their deal stacking, they should approach a designer exactly the same way as they would approach like a solicitor. So, you know, you always want to be surrounded with people that um, are part of what everyone calls your power team so that you know already that when you get to the stage of having the key or if you have an offer accepted, you can already contact the uh, designer and start looking at, at the design. And then it comes in two main kind of, let's say, ways to start designing a property. And one would be looking into the concept design. So what is going to be the theme of my property, especially like for service accommodation and for uh, HMOs, not so much for buy-to-lets, but you can also kind of use that as well. Um, but then this concept will be your design approach where you can, you know, you have an overall concept and then you just replicate from one room to another so that you have consistency everywhere. And then this consistency will then tie in with all your finishes selection. So like your paints, your floors, everything. And then in parallel to that, you should be with your designer, then maximizing your floor plate. So doing all your layout so that you can determine uh, the flow, the circulation, what type of furniture you're going to have on each room, what is the size of your, your furniture. And then from that point, you can then start to develop all the technical drawings that then you will need and then get that to your builder. And when I talk about technical drawings, it could be simple things as lighting plans, because it's very important that you have various layers of lighting. So not only you have your down lights, your pendant lights, your wall lights, but then you also have your table lamp. So you have, you know, your functional lights and your kind of more mood lights. Or if you want to get everything like perfectly done and designed and correlating from the furniture to the layout to the overall look of the design, like small power, which is all the electrical. So your switches, your sockets, they always need to relate back to your furniture and be located in the right places and um, in relation in terms of heights with your furniture. So that everything works really well and you're actually giving or, or creating spaces that people can easily live on. And I think that's very key. And once you get that, then you can just start to talk with your builder and get your project also um, costed. So then you know how much you're going to spend for your refurb. Wow. I mean, you know, for anyone listening who's done a property before and and those who have it, that sounds like a lot. And I think it is. Um, But that's what goes into it. You know, like to, to have good design I think most of us will start with, okay, you know, four walls, uh, skirting boards, carpets, ceiling, yeah, cool. And then we'll be like, okay, here's the space I've just created. What fits with it? But what it sounds like you're doing is saying, hold on a minute, the swag in this room, the furniture, the fittings, the, the stuff that creates comfort and warmth in an environment, let's decide that first and then work the room around that. Is that correct? Exactly that. Exactly that. Because you can't really detach 
your four walls from what you're going to put within your four walls. Because what I see in many properties, unfortunately, is that they do exactly what you were saying. Okay, we have the property, we just get some stuff in and it will be fine. No, it won't be fine because you're not designing for that property. You need to be almost kind of tailoring whatever space you have and then adjusting within the property and the possibilities because obviously there could be some structural implications, but everything needs to work together. Like they need to talk to each other, otherwise it won't work. Mm. And you know what, that's that's definitely something very different for a lot of investors. And it, you know, it, it does require more work up front. Obviously, I mean, there'll be less later, hopefully. But I like that kind of designing the space around the key and cool things in it, because of course, they are integral to each other. So yeah, that's a, a kind of the normal way of look, well, it should be the normal way of looking at it. But it, I think it's definitely going to be different. Now, yeah. you know, a lot of and this is definitely changing, but historically, you know, landlords would do brown carpets, magnolia walls, wood effect kitchen, damp, you know, it just, it would be just really boring, really crap. And now, and you know, now you get the kind of basic white gloss kitchens, the cheapest range that magnet do, blah, 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 black worktops, whatever. Anyways, I'm not going to fire shots at anyone, but, um, what is, I suppose, the cost of this bad design? You know, why should people, you know, inevitably spend a little bit extra on what you're saying and, and make sexy designs when they could just do Magnolia and, and spend like no money? Well, I think it all goes back to how your property will be performing and will be um, giving you a return on your investment. So for instance, I'm working on an 8-bed HMO now um, and I was looking at some comparables before starting the project with this investor. And I was thinking, okay, so what would be the rent up with that uh, this property investor is actually going to get? And looking into the area that he's, um, that he's investing, we're looking into rooms with, you know, magnolia walls and gray carpets. They're going to be probably renting out 500, 550 per month. Whereas this one will be renting around 750. So there you go. You already have a huge uplift just on the rent. And, you know, over the years, if you kind of do your maths and considering that normally those Magnolia rooms will be on a 60 to 70% occupancy rate, and I'm kind of pushing it quite a bit, uh, this property will be a hundred percent around the 90% of occupancy rate. So it will mean that on the course of like five years, the gross income that the property investor will make, it will be around 185K, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, not 100. Uh, the property that it's not well designed will be around 185K, whereas the property that will be very well designed will be around 324K in five years' time. So, you know, it is it is a huge uplift on your on your gross income. It's around thirty six percent, which is pretty good. And like another project that I'm actually working on on the northwest, it is similar numbers, but the uplift is going to be even higher because we're going to reach around forty six percent. So we will be looking at one hundred thirty seven k of an uplift over five years. So definitely, yeah, everyone should be 
avoiding properties that are just magnolia and investing um, on you know new properties in terms of new design approach. Because if you really think that by that you're going to achieve a good rental income by cutting corners and putting you know bad quality furniture or having really small cramped rooms, uh, you will be very disappointed because competition is out there. And the properties are literally getting better and better. So consequently, investors really need to up their game. Otherwise, they will be faced with voids. Uh, also, the not so good tenants. So you'll have huge turnover of uh, tenants. And then obviously that will give you more maintenance costs. And ultimately, you're having properties that are not generating a strong ROI at all. Mm. Now, I think it's 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 really useful, actually, that you kind of put that in numbers. And I believe on your Instagram as well, you broke that down even further. Um, so people yeah. can go see that as well, because I think that's what is what like that's what's going to convince property investors and people because they're always looking at bottom line. You know, we're always like, well, if we're going to spend 10 pounds, are we going to make, you know, at least 15 off that? You know, are we going to make something from that? And, you know, looking at stats like that. Yeah. You know, you've got the figures, which you said, and you've also got the soft things like better tenants staying longer you know, people who care about it more because they love it enough to be paying a higher rent. And I think we all, you know, we'd all do the same thing. We'd pay more rent, we'd pay more to buy something that was way nicer. Like it just, it's just common sense. And yeah, I'm really glad you have the figures there to kind of back that up. Now, you know, a lot of this stuff might be new to people or might be something they've kind of ignored for a very long time. So what are maybe some of the common challenges or problems that investors face when they sort of try and do these designs? Well, I think I have normally two types of developers that come to me. Ones are like the kind of, you know, I wouldn't say newbies, but people that have no idea how to start, where to start. And then they feel super overwhelmed uh, because it's like, oh my God, how am I going to design? How am I going to actually do the room layout so I can maximize as much as possible? Where can I get products that are actually going to be even better than what it's out there? Or I have um, investors that come to me and they're like, I had this project and it went really wrong. I don't have time to deal with this. And, you know, the rooms are just not performing the ROI that I was expecting or they're not attract, attracting the right tenants as we were speaking now. And it's just like, it's a mess. I don't know what to do. And that's exactly when I can kind of come in and take all of that overwhelm and then give them, you know, their time back because investors shouldn't be focusing on design uh, as like the main thing. They should be looking for how to fund their next deal, go and do their viewings, you know, all of that stuff. And let's face it, not everyone knows everything 100%. It's impossible. And, and you know, for investors that are not really design-driven, this can be a huge, huge problem. So, for example, I worked last year on a project, um, and, you know, the investor, he he's amazing in his numbers, due diligence, all of that. But when it comes to, to design, he... he he doesn't understand. It's it's not his thing. And every time he came to me, it was all about like, okay, okay so what can we do to make this better and a higher rental income and, you know, just make the property perform better. And I was like, okay, explaining the design, what we were going to do, what was the course. Uh, and at 
the end of it, um, when he actually went to the property and saw the finished uh, product, he he was just, oh, wow, this, this actually causes a huge impact. And I'm like, yeah, that was exactly what I told you how it's going to be. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. And in the end of the day, by that, he actually achieved a 51% rental increase so so you know that was really good because not only he had the time to go and do his thing he now has the confidence that if he wants to come back to me to do another project that actually um he will achieve whatever roi that he's um looking for and that's that's really good Mm. and yeah i think the kind of the key thing i took from that is it's kind of do what your strength is so you know most property investors their strength isn't interior design it's it's probably the investing side finding money finding deals and i think a lot of people you know would rather do other stuff but and be- i think because of that they look at design and say well this isn't a serious consideration i can just you know do this and it'll be fine it'll still rent it'll still make money blah 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 and so because they don't see it as a serious part of, you know, business and design, what it means then is, is that they do it themselves instead of outsourcing it, which means it doesn't always end well. However, you know, we both know plenty of um, property investors who are amazing at their interior designs. Um, you know, some have a history in it, some don't, uh, but there's definitely some really, really talented people out there. So, you know, another thing is don't be afraid to ask, hey, where did you get that from? Or I really like that color. What's the shade? People are, you know, most, more than not, they're probably going to share, um, those kind of things. Now, you know, this, you know, kind of earlier on, you mentioned the market is like super competitive and, and it kind of always is and always will be. Um, you know, do you think, I mean, actually, no, what are the kind of biggest things that have the biggest impact in interior design? So if, if someone was like, you know what? I just want to know that the top three things that I can do or you know, top three elements of a house that in your opinion, Raquel, are going to have the biggest impact on the design. Yeah, sure. So I think, and sometimes it's things that are actually not visible at, at, at first instance, but um, space planning, it's, it's like, I think number one, if you don't have the correct space planning, uh, the right room sizes, uh, the right communal areas. Um, if you know, if you're going to have an open kitchen, a kitchen, a dining, a lounge separated, whatever that is, if it doesn't work, your property will never be a good place for people to live in it. So like you always get need to get your space planning, um, right. Then the second thing I would say, um, it could be, well, it's kind of second and third could be kind of connected, but it would be having a really good lighting setup because I still see properties in the market that have, for instance, fluorescent lights. And, you know, fluorescent lights, they have their place in design and, you know, in certain areas, but not when you're designing a communal area. It's actually bad for your health because you won't be able to disconnect uh your sleep cycles will be completely just wrecked it's it's not good for your health so why would you then be still using fluorescent light on a communal space that's like absolutely 
I just, I, I still, I find this unbelievable. So having a correct lighting plan where, you know, everything works within the space, it's like key for any, any property. Um, and then the third one, which then relates also a bit with the, with the second one, which is lighting is your small power. I cannot stress how important this is because if you're a tenant and for instance, you want to plug your iPhone or your tablet and you're in bed and you don't have a socket to do that next to your bed, um, you really, you know, people are, they just want to be in spaces that work with them. And it's not about being lazy. I wouldn't call it that, but you know, it's just, you want to be relaxed in your room with things that you can reach and just just do it easily. And if you don't plan that in advance, your room won't work. And it's kind of going back to that um, thing that we were discussing, the afterthought of, oh, yeah, I'll just put some furniture and it'll be fine. No, it won't be fine. Everything needs to work holistically. So these would be my top, top tips of getting the design right from day one. Mm, I like that. And yeah, like you said, they're not always, you know, like stuff like that. I think people are going to notice, but the sockets, you know, they may not notice until they're kind of using it X many months in. And so that may not have an immediate impact on, oh, I want to rent this room, but it'll have an impact on keeping them there because they won't be frustrated by things like that. And, you know, lighting, space planning, again, you know, they're not always like consciously notice like a really cool sofa is but they're felt and you walk into a space and you say yeah it it just feels right like you don't question it whereas some spaces you walk in and say hmm you know something is is off here so you know yeah I find that really interesting that they're not you know the things you said were not what I think I expected or what maybe people were expecting you know it was kind of the the core principles before all that stuff which yeah, I, I like that you kind of um, mentioned that. Now, you know, good design doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but getting, you know, black taps or gold taps, for example, instead of brushed chrome ones, it does cost, I know, I don't know, I've got one in front of me, but I think it costs like 15 or 20% more um, than the chrome ones. Now, you know, I personally don't see that as a lot, because of what it is and how the difference it makes. But at the end of the day, things have to be profitable. So like if, and I'd say most of us don't tend to have sort of big budgets on refurbs, they're done as cost efficiently as possible. What would you kind of advise people kind of when it comes to budgeting or or saving money and trying to find things for kind of for cheaper, just tips on that kind of the economical aspect of interior design, perhaps. Yeah, well, I think that you were saying um, about budget and people not budgeting. That's that's very interesting because normally when investors come to me, they're like, oh, I spent all this money on the refurb and now I have to do the styling. So what do I do? And, you know, it's normal that that happens. But I think that Preparing the budget from day one, that would be ideal. So you can know exactly what you're going to get on your refurb cost and then what you can allocate for your um, accessorizing and your styling. But if that doesn't happen and you're a bit like tight, I think that the best thing would be to kind of understand what are the, you know, 
in each room, what are the key points, the focal points that then you can add an artwork or you can buy that uh, sexy sofa or, you know, just allocate the budget or allocate what you have for the budget in key rooms or key spaces so that then you can uplift your design or have some nice ornaments. Ornaments are always really good because people remind um, you know, I, I did one property some years ago, um, which this was for a developer, a bigger developer, but we had to create a family living in that uh, property, a fake family. So we even got like photos of the grandparents and the kids and we created a really nice family. But when people came to see the the, the property, what they actually remembered was these little um, figurines that we have. And I think I got them from like Etsy, so like super cheap. And we were talking about a 32 million um, pounds property that was being uh, sold. Um, and th- these figurines were Superman and they were um, Spider-Man. And there was another one, I don't remember, the one that it's Captain America. And it was a collection of that. And everyone was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And we spent three pounds on this. (laughs) So, you know, it's just about getting certain things that actually will create an emotional connection to people. And then they'll be like, oh, I want that place. Even if you're not like super adding everything everywhere with art and this and that. It's just about selecting a few pieces that then will trigger emotion in people. I hope this makes sense. No, no, it does. And I think, you know what, that creativity, you know, personally, I kind of struggle with that. And it's it's kind of having someone like you, someone who's good at design to kind of say, is this weird? Or like, does this look good? Or because sometimes it's like, mm, Tej, no, no, no. And then sometimes it's like, no, that's amazing. But like, I think it's really important you know, especially in HMOs, you know, where there's a lot of furnishing, there's a lot of dressing, it's very competitive, you know, buy-to-lets, uh, flips, they're a little bit emptier. So, you know, I suppose it's different. And I, and I do have a question about that. But yeah, I, I think it makes an impact. And there's little cute things, because who else is doing that? You know, like, no one. Exactly. You need to separate yourself from what everyone is doing, you know, Okay, you can go to the senior and buy really amazing prints. And don't get me wrong, I do that. But you have to mix. You have to layer things. And, and that's where you get design right because it's, it's just layering. It's creating, um, it's like when you go, for instance, to a place and you have a wall that has some kind of feature texture. The first thing you want to do, and this is like, you just do it without even being conscious that you're doing, you're going there and you're putting your hands and you're like, Ooh, this is lovely. Or you see a velvet sofa and you're like, Ooh, that's softness of the velvet. And you're doing this. You're not really thinking. How do you do it? So it's all about that, those emotions that you need to kind of just make people have them. I love that. I, as soon as you said like a feature on a wall in my head, I was like touching it. Like I just knew that's exactly what I was going to do because it's, it's what we do. So I, I like that. It's, it's creating that feeling. So then speaking of kind of creating a feeling or a reaction, um, colors, colors are, you know, a topic of much discussion. And I know, say with HMOs, you've got people who go, super dark super bright they kind of follow a theme or they do kind of out their stuff and it works of course you know you can see for them it works now 
I suppose my sort of general question here is, uh, maybe this is aimed more at kind of buy-to-lets and flips, uh, but, you know, when it comes to colour, like, how do we decide what colours we should be using? I mean, we tend to go white because it's neutral. People can kind of, you know, paint it if they need to, blah, blah, blah. But I think, like, yeah, as a kind of general thing for people who are thinking, oh, should I use this shade of blue? Should I just do this? Like, is grey still cool? Like, what are we doing with colours right now? Well, I think it all goes back to the property itself. And I know this might sound a bit weird what I'm about to say, but the property actually talks to you, it speaks to you, and you kind of know what you're going to go for. Or if you actually don't have any idea, you just come up with a concept and you use whatever colors you want to use. So, for instance, when I was refurbing the uh, Bytelet in Nottingham, all the walls everywhere were white, just like white, white, white. And at the same time that that refurb was going, there were two other uh, investors that were refurbing and they were going for white walls. And that property, when you come in, it's actually like a really nice warm almost mustardy yellow and it then suddenly has a really red earth um window kind of recess and you have the window there and everyone that just and it's quite bright like it's a bit of love and hate relationship but once you get there you just get so like oh my god this is wonderful and it's warm and you know you have this double height ceiling because it's like a studio by to let with beautiful natural lighting, it just it just made sense to do that. But if maybe you know you would tell me, well, but in Wales people don't rea- react so well to um, I don't know warm reds and you know um, yellow walls. You could look at your surroundings and kind of think about, okay, uh, what do I have here? What type of um, do I have trees? Trees. Maybe I could go for green. What type of green would I do? Is it like a pale green? Is it a strong green? But, you know, you can start to think about through a concept how you can then apply that to your property and not just have white or gray walls. But if you still want to do your white walls, that's absolutely fine. I have no issues with white walls because then what you can do is that actually on the finishes, on your floor finishes, you can use much richer tones or then go, as you were saying, like the dark and moody type, go for a darker darker floor where you can contrast with your walls or you, the cabinetry of the kitchen can be something more brighter. So there are various layers that it's not about the paint that you put on the wall that actually can make your property work. Mm. That, yeah. That that's a good point, and I think there's there's lots to think about, and it's not necessarily something that you know people can necessarily rush into. And I think you know it's, it also depends on your strategy. You know, when I do buy to lets, it's all white. You know, I've done sort of light grey sometimes, but I think for me, I want to kind of give them a blank palette. If they say, hey, you know what, can I paint my bedroom pink? I'm like, of course you can, um, as long as it's painted back when you leave. Um, and I think that is different to what I would do in a HMO. There wouldn't be any customization there. It would be funky. It would be something different. And then in my flips, I tend to go for a white. I've done a really soft kind of cornforth white gray. But yeah, I, I kind of, I suppose because with the kitchen and bathroom, I don't necessarily go safe and bland. I go a bit kind of saucy. I make the rest of it white. And I suppose that's a balance that people have to decide for themselves. And, you know, I, depending on your strategy 
be neutral enough for everyone or be vibrant that it doesn't suit everyone, but it suits the kind of people that you want um, to kind of have there. So, um, you know, I said earlier, I want to talk about flips. Now, you know, most flips, I suppose higher end flips are different, but most flips are, you know, they're going to be unfurnished. Got kitchen, bathroom, you know, carpets, four walls, ceilings, happy days, light fixtures. Uh, what is your advice on, you know, like, would you dress a property? Yeah. So would you dress a property and under which sort of situation or which types of strategy or property would you dress, if any? Well, I am a strong believer that properties should always be dressed and styled, even if it's a flip. As long as you, um, from the beginning when you're doing your deal stacking and your refurb, you count some, you know, X amount for your art, your furniture within the, the price that you're going to sell your property, then definitely yes. Because what I've done in the past was that um, most of the properties actually that I've done in the past um, were always, always furnished and styled. And when they sold the properties, the developers, they sold with everything because it's not just about having or not having the property, but it is about having people coming into that door and thinking, I love this place. I want to live here. I just love the furniture. And then they decide if they want to resell the, the, um, the furniture, give it to charity, whatever happens. But it just makes uh, properties sell much faster. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, it's that emotional connection that you, that you just go there and like, yeah, I love this. Why wouldn't I want to live here? So for instance, I, I've worked for Chelsea Barrett's. Um, and it's two show apartments there. And there was one property that was the penthouse, a beautiful, beautiful property and it's stunning views. And literally the person who bought the property, they just needed to bring their clothes and the toothbrush. Besides that, everything was there for them. And the property didn't even go to the market because it was sold at a private viewing. And it, the only reason why that happened was because it was ready for someone to just go inside and just do their thing. That's it. So, yeah, definitely. And if you say, well, you know, just for flips, essays, just any strategy, any strategy, I would say. Interesting. Now, you know, I think lately there's been a kind of uh, increase in digital staging or fake staging, whatever you want to call it, where, you know, it's a picture it's essentially photoshopped and you know some of them are, are really good like i think you know most people would really have to look close to tell um that it isn't real what are your thoughts on say you know because this is way way cheaper we're talking i don't know five six hundred pound cheaper perhaps on doing this virtual staging having it as pictures on the listing so people can see mm, okay but then having the property sort of empty when you get there. Thoughts on that? Yeah, well, that goes back to your emotional connection because, you know, you can have that and people are kind of scrolling and seeing and like, oh, this is a really cool property. But then when they get there, there's something it's missing. They have this little thing like the disappointment um, part where they go like, oh, I thought I was actually going to see this as I saw it on right move. And, and, you know, I understand in terms of how much cheaper that is, but 
if you then think about the price that you're selling your property and you consider your budget for the furniture, then it's not going to be an issue because your price already covers that. And yeah. it it might take a little while to sell the property. You don't know. It's a bit of like difficult. It's, it's a difficult decision in terms of um, if I was a prospective tenant, uh, not tenant, buyer, and I would see a beautiful property and then go there and it's empty, I would be very disappointed. Would you be disappointed as well? I think as a property investor, no, because I'd see it and kind of see it CGI and kind of get it. Um, as not as a property. Uh, yeah, I suppose I would be because I'd kind of be like, okay, well, that's a vibe. Like, I want to see and feel this vibe. Um, so I definitely would kind of be disappointed based off those images. Yeah. Hmm. So that, you know, that that is a good point. And, you know, I suppose in your case here, you're selling the furniture with the house. Now, I think at some levels of the market, that doesn't always work. So the kind of, you know, penthouse higher end market, I think it works because the type of buyer, you know, may have multiple properties, may just be not bothered. You know, I think it can be a different market. But when you come down to like the first time buyer level, I, th- I mean, I think it can still 100% work. But I think maybe there's a different consideration to have, which is, mm, you know, if they've been renting out or if they've, you know, I think sometimes it may not like, you know, people may not actually want the furniture. But then I suppose that's just part of the decision and part of the the maths that we all have to do on on our flips, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you can always if it's I'm not going to say uh, use old furniture to dress a property, then, you know, go and buy proper furniture to that specific property. But then if you can, you can always reuse it on your next flip. If it fits and if it goes within the concept and the design of the property. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. And, you know, in this whole process that we've kind of spoken through, when is the best place for someone to... I suppose, consider their interior design, speak to people and maybe hire an interior designer. At what stage should should they do that? Well, as I was saying previously, I think that when you're actually deal stacking, you should consider a sum for the interior design. And then once you get the offer accepted and you kind of get your surveys back and you're confident that it's going to go through, then you can actually start working with the designer on your property. Because what it does is that you avoid this whole thing of getting a builder, a set of drawings or, or, or an idea of what you're going to do, that it's not correct because it, you, you don't know the design yet. And doing conveyancing, what you can do is that you can go through all the floor layouts, the concepts, prepare all the technical dec- documentation, and then give that to your builder. Or if you don't have a builder, then you send it out to tender so that then... Um, they can price, they can give you an accurate uh, refer price and you know exactly what you're spending. And most importantly, besides that or in parallel, is that also you can avoid loads of mistakes. I've seen so many properties that, you know, the layout wasn't okay and then the builder went and started doing something and it didn't work and then you're opening the door to the toilet and boom, it goes against the toilet. And you're like, oh, this shouldn't be here. 
Well, you didn't tell me that the toilet shouldn't be or the high uh, the distance between the toilet and the door so that the door can fully open. Or you get to the shower and the shower head is really low. Like for me, it's fine. I'm tiny, but the average UK height is not my height. So, you know, that is a problem. And once you have technical information and your elevation, so all your walls are designed where all your shower heads, your, the height of the, the wash basins, all of that are, is determined, then you're also minimizing the mistakes in the long run. So that's also something very important to consider. So definitely before you even get the keys, start thinking about your property design. And also the good thing is that once you have all of that and you have the refurb cost um, agreed with your builder, then when is the time that you get your keys, then the builder can start straight away uh, and you don't need to be you know, rushing to find the builder. Uh, what is he going to do? Is he going to be on time? Because, you know, there are a lot of property investors that, as you know, they are, uh, they go to rigid finance to get their uh, mortgages and their loans and all of that. So, you know, time is money. So you really need to start as soon as possible. Yeah, I like that. And that's a good, that's a good explanation of it. And, you know, I think builders sort of do what they're told to and if you don't tell them to do it they'll do something stupid is my kind of experience with it so yeah putting a shower head too low and, and opening a door into a toilet because you didn't tell me even though it's common sense is just exactly what you know i found many builders would do um and think it's okay because they weren't told so i think this helps you from the beginning to plan everything out especially in a hmo when you're going to have you know four five ten twenty rooms with twenty on suites and you know, there's so much going on. It's so much more complex in every way than, you know, a buy to let or a flip where, you know, generally it's kind of like for like, you know, if there was a door there before and it opened fine, the one you put in should also, you know, naturally be fine. Um, Raquel, that, this has been really, really interesting. And, you know, I hope people take things from this and, you know, maybe go back and revise, you know, their budget or how they're looking at things or, or, you know, when and how they're going to plan things and, and their designs uh, is there anything else you want to add or any like online resources to direct to people or, or anything else you want to say on it um well i guess i guess the main thing would be you know don't be afraid to ask for help um there are loads of you know in the in the property investment world there are loads loads of people that are interior designers not me but other people as well they are very good uh, and we are, I'm saying we, but it's the royal we. <laughs> At least I am always happy to have a chat. If you have a question, if you don't know what type, what tap to select, just come and ask because sometimes people are a bit afraid of asking and it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um, so don't feel that you cannot reach out. And in terms of how can potentially people find me, I would say, you know, you can always find me on Instagram or on Facebook, uh, drop me a message and I'll be really happy to help you out. Amazing. And I will put all of your contact details and your social media in the show notes so people can get a hold of you. Raquel, thank you so much for coming on the Tej Talks podcast. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Tej. Thank you. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.